Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. So every Sunday afternoon when I get home from church, I sit down to eat lunch and I turn on sports. If it's one of the major tournaments or Tiger Woods is in the hunt, it will be golf. If the Caps are playing, it will be hockey. If it's football season, which starts today, can I get an amen for that? That's good. Listen, I already know we're not going to make the playoffs as a Redskins fan. I don't care. I'm just excited that it's back. But in the summer, most of the time I get home on Sundays, and what I'll do is I'll turn on the Orioles game. This is a tradition in our house. Sunday afternoons are for resting and eating good food and watching sports. And a few weeks ago, I got home from Collective, and I turned on the Orioles game while they were playing the Blue Jays. And some of you actually probably saw a video about this on social media, but on this particular Sunday, 4,000 scouts from the United Kingdom were at the Orioles game. They had just finished the World Scout Jamboree in West Virginia, and they decided to head to Camden Yards. And there were so many of them, they actually took up almost the entire lower deck in left field. And a few innings in, the commentator started to notice something. They love the Orioles left fielder, Anthony Santander. Every time a ball was hit to Anthony and he made a play, they would go nuts. Like standing ovation for a routine fly ball, nuts. And it was incredible. We actually have a few a video of some of the highlights. You can check it out. And all the scouts right behind Anthony applauding as he caught that ball. How about that? They all broke into applause in unison out there. Fly ball to left again. Santander back on it. Let's see if he gets an applause. Yes. <laughs> It's wonderful. He's their favorite player. Here we go. He has another chance with his fans out there. And he's got it. <laughs> she went out and bought a jersey and who's? Yep, you're right. Santander. Oh. And a base hit for Santander. And his fan club loves it. So this video went viral, and, and if you're an Orioles fan, you know why. It's because their baseball isn't very good. But it was awesome. Uh, like this, this group of people became his biggest fans, even though the kids aren't actually Orioles fans, and they didn't know who Anthony Santander was, but he just happened to be playing left field that day. The girl that even bought his jersey, if you could read her lips, she screams out, I love you. <laughs> right? Later on, they interviewed her, and they asked her why, and she just said it was one of the best experiences they'd ever had, just to cheer on another player. And so it was a really cool video to watch, and it made its way around ESPN and Twitter. But one thing that's particularly awesome about this video is that Santander is Venezuelan, and English is his second language. So most of the time when he's interviewed after the game, he actually speaks through a translator. But when he was interviewed about that day, he just beamed with joy. He didn't need his translator to know what the scouts were saying. He could hear it in their tone. He could see it on their faces. They were cheering him on with everything they had. And it's truly a beautiful moment. And you could tell later it meant the world to Santander. At the end, he gets the hit and he points to his own cheering section in left field. And this video is a good reminder of how powerful our words are, how much they matter, how much value they have, that they can bring life and death. We've read this verse throughout the series, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue can bring death or life. 
Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And we know this, right? We know that our words have power, but sometimes we lose sight of that truth. So the past few weeks, we've talked about the words we say, the words we send, and the words we post. And I don't know about you, but me personally, this series has kicked my butt. It has forced me to think about the words that I'm saying and sending. It's challenged me to intentionally encourage people. It's changed how I approach social media and face-to-face conversations and texting. And it's made me realize that this is an area of my life where I need to grow. In fact, one of the reasons why I didn't preach last weekend was because I stink when it comes to words of encouragement. Like, that's not my sweet spot. Just ask my friends or my staff. I'm not good at it. So instead of me preaching and pretending like I'm really good at lifting others up, I invited my friend Jonathan to come out and preach because he's an encouragement to me, and he's been an encourager in my life, and he's just really good at it. And so what I got to do last week is I actually got to sit and learn and be challenged. And I've tried to spend seven days encouraging people. I did not succeed, but I did better than the week before. So I hope that this series has challenged you in the same way because our words matter. And today we're closing out this series, and this sermon today is the most important one. And if you truly take to heart what we're talking about today, it will change the overflow of your heart. But more importantly, it will change your life. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your phone, and if you have an iPhone, you take out notes. If you have a Droid, I don't know what you use. Like, there's probably an app for it. You use a stylus, whatever Droid nerds do. Grab that. That's right, Droid nerds. Um, I'm cool. I have an iPhone. Uh, Or if you're old school, there's paper and pen. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take notes. Because what we're talking about today will change the overflow of your heart. In the first week of this series, I briefly talked about something called love languages. And this is an idea that was coined by Gary Chapman. And the point is every person has a very specific way that they feel loved and appreciated. There's words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, receiving gifts, and acts of service. And a few years ago, I was going through some personal assessments before starting Collective, and one of the tests they had me take was the five love languages. Now, going into it, I was very apathetic about it because I'd taken it multiple times. My answer is always the same. It's always physical touch. No, that is not permission to hug me. That's between me and my family. I just got to make it, listen, like when I don't know people and they hug me, I feel very uncomfortable. But I'd taken it multiple times, and it always comes back the same way, physical touch. But this time, the results were different. My love language had changed. Instead of physical touch, my primary love language came back as words of affirmation, and I was mad. I began to argue with my counselor who was giving me this test because I don't like words of affirmation. I get super awkward and uncomfortable. I deflect majorly. I certainly appreciate kind words, but I try to get out of those conversations as quickly as possible. But then my counselor asked me about how negative words impact me. And here's the truth. Negative words crush me. They haunt me. They linger in my head. I've let them shape who I am. I've let them create fears. I've let them create insecurities. You see, your love language isn't just about how you feel loved and appreciated. It also tells you what hurts the most, right? It also tells us when that thing is missing from your life, you feel pain differently when the other four are missing from your life. And for me, the reason why words of affirmation is my primary love language, my true love language, isn't because I crave positive words. It's because the negative ones hurt me the most. My counselor was right. Throughout my life, some of the most painful moments I've experienced centered on words from people who were important to me. When I was in high school, I was told that I wasn't good enough to play baseball and I was cut from the team. 
I've been playing baseball since I was four. I didn't give up, though. I kept, I kept trying out the next year. I made the team three years later. I was actually the MVP of that same team. And when I called to tell one of my friends about it, they told me that if I tried as hard at school as I did baseball, I wouldn't have been rejected from one of my top college choices. When I was in college, I had a professor tell me that my mistakes were my identity and nothing could change his mind. He actually tried to kick me out of his class before it ever started. I had a mentor tell me that I wasn't responsible enough to work as a camp counselor because of those same mistakes I made when I was a freshman. After coming home for Christmas break in college, I had a pastor tell me that I shouldn't have gone to Milligan if I wanted to be a good preacher. I worked at a church where the guy above me told me that I preached shallow sermons. I had another boss tell me that I wasn't capable of planning a church. I've been told that I'm too introverted to be a good pastor and too direct to be a good leader. And I can go on and on and on because there are words that have been said to me that have lingered in my heart for years. And the thing is, I want so badly to remove these words from my life, but I struggle to do so. There are still moments where I hear these words clear as day. There are still moments when I can't sleep at night because it's been a hard day as a parent or as a husband, as a pastor. And these words are the words that I keep hearing. To be completely honest, before we started Collective, these words became fuel for me. They were a chip on my shoulder. These were the words that filled my heart and my overflow became about proving people wrong. And that's incredibly unhealthy. That's what led me to counseling. And that, conversa- that led me to a conversation with my counselor about the impact of negative words and how they were dictating how I lived, how I acted as a husband, how I acted as a father, how I acted as a friend, how I acted as a pastor. And at some point in your life, you have heard words that have stuck with you. Someone told you that you're not good enough, Someone told you that you were a failure, it would never amount to anything. Someone told you that you were a mistake and their life would be better without you. Someone told you that you're not smart enough or pretty enough or strong enough or cool enough or good enough. And maybe it happened in elementary school. Jonathan mentioned last week in his story that he was in fourth grade when he was bullied. And he recently realized that this impact of, of his life in fourth grade has, has changed how he approached his life, how he approached his marriage, how he approached his family. And it took until this year before he figured out that that pain that he experienced, those words that he heard as a fourth grader, impacted who he was. Maybe it was in college. Maybe it came from a parent or a friend or a spouse or just some random stranger on the internet. We've all been hurt by words that other people have brought into our lives and they impact who we are and how we live. These types of things impact the risks you take, the confidence you have, the pain you feel. It impacts the fear that you hold on to because the truth is words matter and they stick with us and they can become who we are. A recent study by two men named Andrew Newberg and Mark Waldman found that words can literally change your brain, literally. In their book, Words Can Change Your Brain, they write, A single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. So words can actually influence your genetics. So this isn't just about feelings, right? It's about our physical makeup and our response to the world. And they continued, by holding a positive and optimistic word in your mind, you stimulate the frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the motor cortex responsible for moving you into action. Now, I'm reading this article earlier this week. It just reminds me that God kind of knew a thing or two about words from the beginning. 
right? He knew that it mattered what we say. This is why the Bible teaches us over and over and over again to encourage one another, to build each other up, to think about our words so that they're helpful. Colossians 4, 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Ephesians 4, 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. 1 Thessalonians 5, so encourage each other and build each other up. Hebrews 3, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. These aren't cute little Christian things to do. right? God didn't put these in the Bible so you have phrases to put over pictures of mountains so that you can post them on Facebook. right? And the truth is, this really isn't about being a nice or good person. This is about the fact that people live better when we encourage each other. We have a better and easier life when we choose to build people up instead of tear them, tear them down. We function in a healthier way. Our mental health is better. We have less fear, and we are better off when we choose to give life with what we say. The study continued. As our research has shown, the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of the brain. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. Let me read that last part again. It changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. Words do that. I mean, this is why Jesus taught in Matthew 12, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words you hear, the words you say, sink into your heart, and they impact how you see yourself and other people. It will impact how you treat people. It will impact how you talk to people. It will impact what you post online. It will impact how you respond to people. And then they wrote this. A positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will include you towards suspicion and doubt. Over time, the structure of your thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts, and feelings. And we believe that the thalamic changes affect the way in which you perceive reality. Our words matter. And listen, there are a lot of scientific terms in their writing. The whole article is incredible. But all this science is just confirming what God has been trying to tell us for years. Our words can bring life or death. But here's my problem. And I I know some of you are like me as well. I can't get those hurtful things out of my head. I still think about the things that people have said to me that tear me down. Right, I've been hurt, and this is why I need God in my life. So if week one of the series, we talked about the simple fact that our words matter, and week two was about words that tear us down. Week three was about words that build us up. Today is all about God's words for us and why we need them. Because I try to have a positive self-view, but so many people in my life have done their very best to tear me down. So the truth is I can't rely on other people's words. I have to rely on God's words for me. Because when I recognize who I am, and we recognize who we are, we recognize how God sees us, it begins to change our heart. It begins to change how we see ourselves and other people. So we have to rely on God's words for us that say that we're actually fearfully and wonderfully made according to Psalms. And we were designed and created with a purpose and a plan that God wants what's best for our life. Not to harm us, but help us move forward so we can give him glory. When we realize that we're unconditionally loved and accepted by the creator of the universe and that same God gives us grace, right? He gives us endless second chances so that when we mess up, we're not forced to live with that as our identity. When we live by those words, by God's words, we truly understand who we are and how he sees us. 
and that changes the way that we see the world. And I've mentioned this before, but every week I take my daughter Elise to Chick-fil-A on my day off, and we call it Dad Day. And the worst part about Dad Day is the Chick-fil-A play place. It is the worst. It might be hell on earth. If you're in a place where you're contemplating having kids, sit in the play place around noon on a weekday, and that will help you decide. If you sit in there and you think, oh my gosh, I love this, you should start having kids. If you think, oh, I don't really like this, wait a little bit longer, because most of your life will be spent in that play place. And about six months ago, we were in the play place, and there were a ton of kids in there, and at least my four-year-old, she's super social. And so whenever we talk about going to Chick-fil-A, the first thing she always asks is, am I going to make new friends? Like, that's all she ever wants to do is meet new friends or even maybe see the friends that she's experienced in the past. And so while we were there, Elise actually walked up to a group of kids her age and said, Hi, my name is Elise. Do you want to play with me? And one of the kids screamed, No. Sorry. It's tough being a dad sometimes. Uh, uh, And then another kid started to mock her, and he kept going, My name is Elise. My name is Elise. I can hear it through the tunnel. The third kid yelled at her, nobody wants to play with you, Elise. And I'm not even kidding, this group of kids, four, five, six years old, they start laughing at her. And then she starts crying, and they laugh some more. And so weeping, Elise came down the steps, she came straight to me, and she said, Dad, they don't, they don't want to play with me, what do I do? And I was crushed. I mean, it broke my heart. The first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to find their parents. Uh, I didn't do that. So I pulled Elise out of the play pace, and we got some ice cream, and began to talk about what happened. Quick side note, though, I just want to say one quick thing about kids and bullying. Let's not pretend that bullying is not a learned behavior, right? And I didn't understand this until I had kids, uh, and and what I've learned is that children do what you do, children do what I do. Um, So if your kid is a bully, you're a bully. It's just that true. It's just that simple. If you say nasty things about people, even if you think they're private, if you say nasty things about people in your life, if you gossip about people in your life, your kids are just going to give those words to other people. If you mock people... The kids around you, your kids will do that too. And so parents, I want you to think about it this way. If you want to know the overflow of your heart, watch your children. They'll tell you. So Elise and I, we sat down and we spent the next 30 minutes talking about how saying mean things hurts people. And how she doesn't need to care about what those three kids think because her dad loves her. And I continue to tell her that I think she's special. I think she's beautiful. I think she's funny. I think she's smart. That I love her that I want to play with her, that I think she's wonderful, and so does her mom. And she spent the next few hours, and and even to this day when we go to Chick-fil-A, she'll she'll ask, are the bully kids going to be there? But she'll spend time telling people that it doesn't matter what these bully kids think because her dad loves her, because her mom loves her. And here's the deal. I don't know who said those things to you that hurt you to the point where you still hear those words. I don't know what was said, but I do know it hurts. We all know that. But here's the truth, and this is the most important thing. Only God's words truly matter, right? We don't need to let other people's words for us be the ultimate words in our life. Bob Goff, he's a writer, he says it like this. Many people dwell on what other people are thinking about us, but we can be so busy trying to get the approval of others that we forget who Jesus says we are. So much of our insecurity and our fear and our pain comes from the fact that we listen to what other people are saying rather than what God says about us. And so there's one application for you this week to take home, and it's super simple. Let God's words be the words that fill you up. This is it. This sums up the entire series. Let God's words be the words that fill you up. 
But in order for you to do that, you have to know what God says about you, right? This means you're actually gonna have to go home this week and you're gonna read your Bible, right? You're gonna open it up, open it up to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. These are the stories about Jesus and you're gonna read how much he loves you, how much he cares about humanity, how much he wants to come and rescue you from whatever pain you have in your life. But when you do that, when you go home and you read your Bible this week, this is what you're gonna read. God says that I'm his masterpiece and his workmanship, Ephesians 2. He says that I'm established, 2 Corinthians 1. He says I'm sealed with his promise, John 6. He says I'm redeemed, Colossians 1. When I don't like myself very much in the moment, John 15 says that I'm loved. When I don't seem to be gaining ground in this battle, Romans 8 says I'm more than a conqueror. When I don't have confidence in myself right now, Deuteronomy 31 says I am strong and I'm courageous. When I don't know how to fix this part of my life, 1 Peter 2 says I'm healed and I'm whole. And when I don't know how long I'm going to continue to struggle with the same old sin, 1 John 1, 9 says I'm forgiven and I'm free. Now, how do I know that? Those are God's words. Because God says I am. And his words are so much more valuable than a bully from elementary school, than an ex-boyfriend, than a toxic boss, or some troll online. You see, Elise had a choice, even as a four-year-old, to listen to the bullies or listen to her father, to the person that loves her the most, to the person that would give up his own life for hers. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to listen to his words, and not the words of bullies or strangers or Facebook friends. He wants his words to fill us up. He wants his words to be the ones that overflow from our hearts so that we can speak the same life into other people. But in order for that to happen, you have to know his words. Right? Elise knows, like deep down inside, that I love her. And she knows that I think she's special. I remind her that and I repeat it to her all the time. And so there's a reality that you come here on Sunday and you say, I know God's words or I feel these words or I sing these words. But do you regularly spend time with him so those words are the ones that actually fill you up and become the overflow of your heart? Do you do that every day so you walk away with what God says about you instead of other people? And this is one of the reasons why I believe in God. This is one of the reasons why I've put my faith in Jesus, because if I don't believe in God, then someone else has the ultimate voice and ultimate authority in my life. That could be my parents. That could be a boss. It could be teachers. But if God isn't the ultimate voice in your life, that means it's either you, which we can all agree is a terrible idea, or it's someone above you in the social structure of the world. And it means that their words matter the most. And speaking from experience, I can say that's a dangerous and painful way to live. Every example I gave earlier came from a pastor or a leader or a friend who had a major influence in my life. But when you allow God to be the ultimate leader and the ultimate word giver in your life, that gives you freedom. And the identity he gives you is so much greater than what other people will give you because he'll build you up. He'll encourage you. He'll tell you that he loves you, that you are strong, that you're courageous that you're capable. And when you make the decision to put your faith in him, when you make him the leader of your life, when you choose to get baptized, he'll tell you that you're forgiven, that you're made new, that you're redeemed, and that you're his. And no one, no person can ever take that away from you. You see, for some of you, your whole life has been formed by hurtful things that people have said to you. These things have become your identity. These things have become truth in your life, and that's led to a place of pain and brokenness and hopelessness. And the only way to get out of that place is to stop being the authority in your own life, to stop allowing other people to be the authority in your own life and let Jesus be the leader and Lord of your life. 
to let his words be the truth that you actually live by. So what you do is you put your faith in him and he gives you these things, right? And that means every day you wake up and you get to rest in the knowledge that he loves you, that he believes in you, that even on your worst days, he still thinks you're worthy. For some of you, that's what you need to do. You're going to keep on this treadmill of negative thoughts and negative feelings and negative things that have dictated who you are for so long because you've never allowed God be, to be the ultimate authority in your life. The way that we celebrate that here is through baptism. If you were in that place, or at least you're kind of on that treadmill, check off baptism on the connection card and let's talk about this. Let's talk about what it looks like for you to give God the authority in your life. And so Jesus says in Matthew 12, for out of the overflow of the heart... The mouth speaks. That's what this whole series is about. And I want my words to bring life. I want my words to build people up. I want my words to encourage people. And because of that, I have to constantly fill myself up with the the words that God offers so that can be my overflow. So that I can look at my friends and my family and my neighbors and my community and I can say, you are loved. You are a masterpiece. You are worth it all. And when people ask me how I know this, I get to say, because God says so. And God promises that those words are for us and they can't be taken away from us. And that is the life that I want to live. To close out today, I want to draw your attention to the brown envelope that was on your seat when you came in. Uh, Don't open it. Some of you who are like super extroverted people, you've already opened it. It's okay. But I want you to hold on to it. Don't open it yet. Uh, You're going to bring it home today. But here's what I want you to do. At some point this week, you're going to need encouragement. It doesn't matter. Every single week, we need encouragement, right? Teachers, you guys just started last week, you need encouragement. Students, you need it as well. Um, But at some point in this week, it's going to get hard. There's going to be a day where you just don't know if you can keep going. There's going to be a day where you don't know if you can believe in yourself. There's going to be a day where you start hearing those words that other people have put into your life. And so inside of the envelope, there's a small card. And on that card is one Bible verse about God's words for you. And so when you hit that moment this week where you don't know if you can keep going, where you don't know if, if you have anybody that cares about you and you're questioning who you are and how you feel, open that card and remind yourself of what God says about you. And I would encourage you not just to open it and hold on to it for yourself, but you're going to experience someone in your life that is feeling the exact same way and give those words to them as well. Because the truth is every single week we deal with this. Right? We could talk about words 52 weeks a year because we need this. But when we choose to let God be the ultimate leader in our life, the ultimate authority in our life, his words matter the most, and he'll build us up. God loves you. He thinks the world of you. He would give everything he has to be in a relationship with you. And those aren't my words. Those are God's words. That's what he wants you to know. That's what he wants you to live by. That's what he wants your overflow to be. Let's pray. God, uh, it's hard um, when people in our past have given us a label or an identity, uh, have told us that we're not good enough, told us that we're failures, uh, told us that we're a mistake. God, it's so hard not to let those words shape who we are, to shape how we see people, to shape how we act as a spouse or as a friend, to shape how we treat people online. God, I think we'd all agree that we live in this world where we use words as weapons, we pretend like it doesn't matter, but every single day we feel it. 
that we wake up every single day, we go to bed at night, remembering those words that someone said to us that day in the past year, 10 years ago, and they still hurt. So God, I pray today, um, we can, everybody here, every, every single one of us can take a step forward to caring a lot less about those painful things people have said to us in the past and look, way, look closer to what you say about us. God, to move closer to the words that you give us, the fact that you, you love us. God, you think we're worthy. God, you tell us that we're strong and courageous and that we're capable. And God, we don't have to drum up that self-confidence from somebody else. It comes from you and you alone. God, thank you for the words that you give us. God, I hope those words can be the ones that we put into ourselves and give back out to this world because, God, we know this world would be a better place. It would change how we see people, change how we see the world if we did that. God, thank you that our words matter. God, I just pray that we use them a little bit better. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.